Roxo Media House. Welcome back to Fortitude, everybody. Season two is now in full full effect. Uh, I am J.W. Wilson, my co-host, Brenton Payne, across the desk. Uh, welcome, Brenton. Good yeah. to see your face today. Yeah, Looking good over there. Uh, we have a couple things to discuss. Uh, our show, by the way, is brought to you by Captex Bank, our lovely friends at Captex, who we feel very strongly about because they're sponsors, and they also are some really good dudes. And only one or two local Really local banks here. Absolutely. So you, we, all, we, we all talk about buying local. Might as well bank local. And Mike Thomas, you know, you, you, we know you're out there listening. We love you, buddy. Yeah. Thanks for what you do Thanks, for us Mike. in Fort Worth. Zach Brasigno, he is a 35-year-old Fort Worth police officer. Zach is the second known double amputee in the United States to become a police officer. He gets super applause for that. That's, that's <laughs> Outstanding, Zach. I appreciate it. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Zach. We're honored to have you in our presence. Thank yeah, you for, being, for here. being here. Thanks for asking me to come. Um, on that note, there's actually three of us now that we all come from the same uh, softball team. We all play in the amputee softball team. So uh, there's two in upstate New York and me down here in Texas. So you have met these people? Oh, yeah. Um, all very, cops? Very good friends. Yeah. Very and good friends. Same, like same way you got it, the same way? We're all double amputees. Yeah, from below the, the knee. Right. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Who's so, a better ball player? Oh, man. I mean, I can't just say me, but even you though can, they, they, well, they all know it, it's fine. It's beautiful, okay. beautiful. <laughs> we'll tag them on yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> so, Zach, before we get into the the reason you're here and what's led you to this place in your life, we want to talk about your background briefly. Where, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Northside of Fort Worth. Um, went to Castleberry High School and Northside High School for a little bit, but I ended up graduating back at Castleberry. Castleberry. Oh, very good. So when did you, you went to the Marines? Did that Was that straight out of high school? About a week after I graduated, yeah. What led you to that decision? Uh, when I was younger, I had a lot of family that was joining. Um I saw a commercial and I was like, hey, I want one of those uniforms. I want to be that guy. And then, of course, September 11 happened. I was a freshman in high school. Oh, um, and I was running late to school that morning and saw the the TV. And first one, you know, obviously, everybody, I think everybody thought it was just an accident. Then you mm-hmm. saw the second one. Yeah. So even as a 15, 16-year-old kid, I, I knew something was wrong. And I, and I wanted to do something. I needed to do something. So while all of us were thinking these thoughts who wanted to go help and serve, you actually did something about it. You, you signed up for the Marines. Yeah. So my dad was in the Army. Uh, he wanted me to go to the Army, but I just, I don't know why. I was always drawn to the Marines. I was he okay with that? Was it, was it like an issue for him or no? Uh, in the beginning, it was. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a lot of like pride in the yeah various branches. kind Right. Of yeah. yeah. And, it, and like I said, I had, I had more family and friends doing the Marines and um, just to me, it, it just seemed like the right thing to do. Yeah. And, um, like I say, he eventually came around to it. Um, they wouldn't sign for me at 17. So I had to wait till I was 18. Okay. But, how, how difficult was boot camp for you? Um, I mean, my mom was pretty strict, so I was kind of used to having that kind of structure a little bit, but, uh, physically though, was it hard physically? Yes. Just because you never know what to expect. You know, yeah. I mean, you hear stories, you see, you know, commercials, but they don't show you and they don't tell you the truth of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and me, I've always been a bigger guy, so that that was a, a challenge for me, having to lose the weight and keep it off, um, trying to keep up with everybody else. But I knew I couldn't fail at it. Well, did so, you play sports in high school? I did. I uh, grew up playing football and, ba- and baseball, uh, yeah. baseball being our main sport that my brothers and I played. And that's always been a passion for us and still is. Westside Little League? I played there shortly. And um, then where? Sabine? Is that... 
No, mostly at Castleberry. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was Castleberry Youth Association then. Okay. Because um, we really didn't have select teams back then like they do now. Yeah. You know, uh, thank goodness because it's so expensive that I pay for my son now. Surely, oh, surely. yeah. But does he play at, uh, where does he play? He plays at Azel High School now. Okay. Yeah. yeah so um, we're about to move out that way, um, getting him started there a little early. Perfect. So you made your way through the Marines. You survived boot camp. What, what was the hardest hardest thing you ever had to do at boot camp, if you mind me asking? Uh, boot camp, I mean. Was there one thing that just was really like, oh, my God. What just am I being doing? away from home. That you know, I mean, you get that homesick feeling. And that was that was the very first time I've ever had that feeling of, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I'm home every day. You know, maybe I go out of town for a weekend, but this is three months of not seeing anybody in my family, not, not having any of that affection from home. Well, and know? then you're with. You're like having to bed down with strangers, man. Like that's odd too. Like just yeah. Even I don't care like where you're. That's happening. Just even like if he came over and spent the night and we we're in separate. But it was, it's just a weird thing, man. Yeah, you a know? bunch of different personalities no from people. Don't, <laughs> don't come home on Thursday nights then. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, it's just mixing a bunch of you know different personalities from different parts of the world or yeah. different parts of the country and. It's it's pretty tough, but yeah. I mean I've made some really good friends and still friends to some of those people that I I went back to boot camp with today. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but I mean, did, but does and you get so you get over that. So where was boot camp? I'm sorry, you guys in San Diego, MCRD San Diego. Okay, and then what happens next? Uh, then I mean we go to our schools for our specialties. I was a driver, um, so motor T guy. Uh, anything with wheels, pretty much. I'm going to drive it. You and and was that from like a kind of a high school like growing up thing? Were you into cars or it was no? Not like, at all. My cousin was there, and I was trying to figure out what what job I wanted to do. And he was yeah. like, "Hey, do this. It's pretty cool." Yeah. I always wanted to be an MP because I knew I wanted to be a police officer someday. Right. So I thought maybe I'll do that. But then a lot of people are like, "Dude, nobody likes the MPs. They they ruin all the fun." Yeah, you know, they work the gate and that's it. Yeah. Um. So he was like, "Do this, man. It's pretty cool. It's a pretty easy job." I was like, "Okay, fine. I'll do that." And then uh, I went to school for that in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. Um, it was pretty fun. Yeah. You know, after that, and then I got my first duty station was in Okinawa, Japan. Uh, so I did two years there and being, was I 19 at the time, you know, single, didn't have any worries like that. I had an amazing time getting was to it cool? different parts of the country. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Learning Japanese. I learned a little bit just to, to sit by, like I hung out at the tattoo shop a lot right. and, uh, one of the tattoo that my we, tattoo we, we artist had there. Tell, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually got a half sleeve all the way up to my shoulder and chest done there. Um, I always wanted to. It's go got there. like the Japanese thing going too. Yeah, man, so like this, this side's all Japanese. Uh, yeah. This one actually is, is a portrait that a guy here did as a painting. He said, dude, I really want to tattoo this on somebody. I was like, go ahead. You know, so yeah. I mean, this guy was 22, 23 years old. And did I you have tattoos like, on your legs before? Or like, <laughs> like I, no, no, no. That's no. a weird question. No, but. so the funny thing about that, it's like uh, when I was younger, I told my mom, hey, I'm going to get a tattoo and get a tattoo. She's like, well, you better wait till you're 18 and do it on your own. Yeah. I was like, okay. And she said, it better say mom. Right. First tattoo, better say mom. So I came home one day. My sister took me. and It was just the cool thing to do back then was a little tribal band. And I put my baseball number in it. Um, she found out about it before I even came home, started hitting me in my arm. I was like, how do you know? She's like, moms always know. Mm-hmm. Um, so the thing I messed with her about, um, when I got back from my second tour in Iraq, when I got injured and I saw my mom for the first time, I was like, hey, mom, we got really good news and really bad news. And she's like, what? I said, I finally got that mom tattoo. She was like, oh, okay, cool. Bad news is I got it on top of my foot and they, oh, they blew it off. Why are you making well, us cry early like this, man? They didn't, we're that's talking about the to come at the end of the movie, not the, the, the middle right, well, of the beginning. Let's not get too far ahead. So you, you served three years in Okinawa. Yeah, two years there. Two years. You, uh-huh. come, you come home for a, a, a short break, right? And you get deployed again to Fallujah, correct? Well, during um, while we're in Okinawa, we were okay. there maybe about six months. And they pulled us into a room and said, hey, we need volunteers to go to Iraq. So I raised my hand 
and then as some others did in the room. Um, it was more of, I remember that feeling of, I, I did this so I could do something so I could help. Um, we didn't know exactly where in Iraq we were going to go, but we just knew that they needed us there and we were going to go. Uh, I called home to tell my mom, and I said, hey, I got to tell you something. And she said, when do you leave? We'll go back to that parent instinct, you know. Gosh, and man. so, I mean, I told her, you know, it's not for sure yet, but this is what it looks like. And then we deployed to Fallujah the first time. This was back in 05. Um, my cousin was there, the one that had convinced me to go be a driver. Mm-hmm. And he was finishing his tour. Um, I found out that I was going to be a father at that point, right before I left. And um, a month after I got there, my son was born. So his daughter was just born before I left. So I got to see her. Mm-hmm. Um, I met up with him finally. Uh, it was He had about a week left before he came home. So we got to hang out, eat dinner together a couple mm-hmm. times. Uh, but we kept missing each other. He'd come to where I was at. And he was like, oh, he's out on patrol. I'd go where he's at. Oh, he's out on patrol. So we finally met up. And then he got to see my son before I did. You know, mm-hmm. so all that. That first deployment was tough. Not knowing if, you know, am I going to get to hold my son? Am I going to get to, you know, see him, tell him I love him in person? I mm-hmm. uh, found out that he was born over an email and tried to be on the phone to, like, during the, the, the delivery and all that. But um, there was a lot of other things that happened during that deployment that made it pretty tough. Um, when I was younger, I was in the Explorer program for the police department, and that had a lot of uh, positive influences there, a lot of advisors that helped me out a lot growing up. Uh, one of them was killed during the line of duty, uh, trying to serve a warrant. And my mom told me about that and I took it pretty hard. Um, that gave me more motivation to like seeing the nine 11, knowing that feeling of, I got to do something more motivation. Okay. Now I'm gonna go home and really be a cop. I want to be like he was, you know, like what he showed me a real police officer supposed to be like here in Fort Worth. So, um, I mean, I don't mean to jump too far ahead and stuff. It's okay. Keep speaking the way you want to speak. So, um, more of that, like not knowing I'm going to, I'm, if I'm going to make it home or not, but I knew I had to, I had my yeah. son to get home to. Um, I just couldn't let anything there stop me from it. You know, I could hear my grandmother tell me, Hey, say your prayers, like, you know, be thankful for what, what God's given you so far and what he's going to give, what he, what he's going to give you and do for you. Um, so about seven months, eight months later, I finally made it home. I uh, saw my son for the first time when I got off the bus. And I knew, it was like, okay, everything I do now is to show him, like, you know, you can do anything you want to do, right? I mean, I, and I'm here to give you all that I can as a father, as, as, a, as a role model. Um, after I finished the deployment in Okinawa, we went to Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. Uh, after a couple months, I was getting kind of bored, so I said, hey, like, is anybody going to Iraq? Like, I, I want to go back. I need to go back. We had that feeling of, like, there's still more to be done. So a group of 11 of us got together. They were putting together teams to train the Iraqi police, and we went back to Fallujah. This was back in 07. Um, we lived out in the middle of town. This is a little different from the first time we actually lived on the base. So, I mean, you're always on alert, not knowing what's going to happen. You know, and obviously it's changed from 05 to 07. 05, there's something pretty much going on every day. You're going to get into something. 07, slow down a little bit. So at that time, are you like in a separate area and you're being called into the city each time? Is that the way? No, we lived in the middle of the city. Yeah, in in 07. We lived in the middle of the city. It was a building that was taken over. Yeah. Um, We put up 
like little sand barrier walls around us and that was it like we had our neighbors here like they hold up chickens like live chickens like hey you want some chicken like you know a couple hours later yeah. they bring us over a cooked chicken yeah you know kids wanting to play soccer with us or you know it's like like i said we're in the middle of the neighborhood but there's probably this overall just tension oh absolutely constantly there like do we trust this guy who wants to give us a chicken or oh, a soccer for sure. like is this legit or not it's just like this probably raised yeah like, yeah absolutely um even some of the iraqi police officers were really sketchy you know, anything something would happen, they'd run. So I yeah. said, no, 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 you'll get back here. This is this is y'all. So we're here to help you, not to do it for you. Yeah. You know, so like stuff like that, we didn't know who to trust. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were some really good ones, you know, mm-hmm. some very, very good ones that were there that were appreciative that we were there to help them. And you can tell that they wanted to learn. They wanted to eventually take over and do this on their own. Um, about three months into our deployment there, we had gone to the main base to drop somebody off. Uh, it was a contractor that was a police officer here in the States, but was there advising with us. We dropped him off at the main base. Um, we got to enjoy a meal. It was right after Thanksgiving. Um, so, we, I mean, it's a, actually a decent meal, yeah. you know, a yeah, hot yeah. shower yeah. finally. Um, yeah. And on our way back, um, I wasn't even supposed to be in the seat that I was in. I convinced my buddy to get out. And for whatever reason, um, he got out, I got in. Which seat, Zach? The front passenger seat. So, I mean, usually we'll switch it up. I mean, because driving all the time gets boring. So, we'd be the driver, the gunner, or the front seat. And In front uh, seat, you're just on lookout. You're like a Yeah, watchman. so you're, you're in charge. You're in charge of the radio. You're in charge of, like, the convoy if you're that the convoy commander at that point. Yeah. Um, but we were just talking. It was my driver, my gunner, who's standing between us, and I was in the passenger seat. And having a normal conversation. Hey, dude, what are you going to do tonight? Either we watch the movie, uh, play some cars, play some dominoes, write a letter home. We are just talking like nothing. All of a sudden... Bam, it goes off. Like a blast goes off, our vehicle stops, and like right away, you're just like dazed. If you've ever been like hitting the nose and your eyes water, yeah. you know, and you, you get yeah. that stinging feeling. Your ears working or no? Totally. Oh, it's ringing. Uh, it's nothing but but buzz. Oh, you know, can't even bells. hear the other people around. Not at all. Um, I remember seeing smoke and I remember smelling it. And at that point, I didn't feel really anything but just like dazed and confusion. Yep. Um, I knew what it was right away just because we trained for this stuff and, you know, we've been around them before, but not that close. So apparently it blew up right underneath my seat. And we were told later that they were watching us from a building. And as soon as we drove on top of it, they blew it up. So they were really close by. I remember putting my hands to my face and trying to like wipe the smoke and sweat and everything from my eye, but my right hand never made it to my face. So it was broken half and hanging down. And I remember being able just to see my fingers dangling a little bit. Um, and I looked out and saw some street and I was like, wow, there's supposed to be a door here. But it, the blast blew the door open. It, did, that, did the Humvees have the V hull technology? They did, they at, did that at this time. time. So was back in 05. Yeah. So that that's, I think they're crediting that, that to you're helping alive? save my life. Yeah. Um, back in 05, we had sandbags on the floorboard. So had it been back in 05, it definitely wouldn't have made it. Mm. Um, I remember asking my guys at this point, hey, are you okay? Are you okay? They said, yeah, we're good. And then I start feeling a burning sensation and then a, a very, very, very painful sting. So if you're like your foot falls asleep and you hit it and it stings, you know what I mean? Trying to wake it back up. Yeah. It was just excruciating. Um, Where? So I felt the burn about waist up. So okay. I thought, okay, man, the vehicle's on fire. We're, we're on fire. We need to get out of here. Something's happening. So down and below, it was just more stinging pain. Um my guy said they're okay, and I start feeling this. As something's not right. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Then I start screaming out. Um, I start to fall out the passenger door, 
And my buddy reaches down the gunner and holds me by my vest and pulls me back in the, in the truck. And I remember telling him, Hey, tell my son, I love him. Tell him I, I love him. I'm not, I'm not, you know, tell him I love him. Um, and he's like, you know, you know, we're going to get you out. We're going to get you out. We finally get to a safer zone. We roll our vehicle out. Could the vehicle still drive or no? Like this is for what we could. So the front end was was damaged pretty good, but yeah. the back wheel, back wheels were able to so get us out of there. Chugging barely along. Yeah, so yeah. we're getting out. So we weren't too far away from where we lived. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my buddies who was still at the building where we lived, um, he was on the roof smoking. He said he heard the explosion go off, and he goes down to the radio room and he hears me on the radio telling him, "Hey, we just got hit. This is that that part I do not remember. Mm. I don't remember calling out, but he was like, "No, it was you. You said where you were, what happened, and that you were coming in." So I guess I don't know if it's just muscle memory training or what. Yeah. Um, we get to a safe zone and they, you know, set up a security around us. They tried to get me out of the vehicle, but they didn't know how bad my legs were. So the bottom of the the Humvee where my seat, uh, my floor floorboard, where my feet were, had mushroomed in. And what was left of my legs was caught in that. So they said like one of my, my left foot, I think was in the street. My right foot was in the back seat. Mm-hmm. So as they tried to pull me out, my... They were actually ripping my legs a little bit more and more and not knowing it until I let out a scream. They're like, what's going on? They had to put me back in, reach in and grab what was left out of that, that shrapnel um, and get me down in the street and start the tourniquet, start, you know, the morphine and everything they could to yeah. get me kind of comfortable. Until when that happened, where do they put, they put the tourniquets like in mid thigh kind of both of them? Yeah. So apparently when I first lost them, it was just above my ankles a little bit. Um, but just because of the infection and stuff like that, they had to keep cutting a little higher. Yeah. So they did the tourniquets, did the morphine. Uh, my buddy that was there and heard it came running out to us and he grabbed my arm just to kind of comfort me, not knowing that it's broken in half. Mm. So I let out a scream. He was like, what, what? I said, my arm, my arm. And then, I mean, even years afterwards, I gave him a hard time about it and he would still apologize. Hey dude, I'm sorry. He's like, whatever, you know? Um, but I remember asking him like, Hey, is everything okay? Is everything okay? And I remember you know, a lot of guys that, that have been in the same situation, we all have one concern in our head. It's like, hey, is, is it still there? Like, <laughs> am I still man? Uh, and my core man I had there, he was like, dude, you're good. I was like, okay, cool, fine. Um, yeah, no we try, problem yeah, for me. Yeah, yeah. we, tr- we try the- to make light of it, you know, a little bit. But um, I felt I felt at ease at that point. Um, right before I left to go back to this appointment, my dad passed away. Um, so I buried him. Like I buried him, and then the day after that, I left to go back. Um, we had a, we had a rough time growing up together. Or him and I, he battled addiction, um, so that was rough for me growing up. But at that point, where my guys are on top of me trying to save me, do whatever they can, I saw. I believe I saw a vision of my father standing behind them, giving me a look like you're going to be okay. And at that point, I kind of just you're going to be fine, you know. Um, that was my, like I said, that my sign to just relax, let, let them, let them do what they have to do kind of thing. And then from there, I, they flew me to Bethesda, Maryland. And I had, I was there for about a month, had surgeries like every other day. They had to clean out my legs, um, do more amputations. And that was the first time I got to see my son again. Um, I was having a rough time in the hospital. I would cry. Um, because I realized at that point is when I really, really realized my legs are gone, you know, and I remember feeling horrible because a nurse came in and she was trying to comfort me. And I, and I went off on her. I was like, well, you have your legs, you don't know, you know, kind of thing. And this is all new to me. So I don't know how to, how to act, you know, or how to go about it. And afterwards I realized like, man, that's, I felt bad doing that to her. Um, she left the room crying. 
my mom got to see me. Um, she knew I was having a hard time, obviously. She went out to the hallway and she was crying. Somebody walking by happened to see her and asked her what's going on. She told her what happened. She told them what happened. And he was like, hey, I have this guy that I think your son would really benefit talking to. Um, she was like, yeah, fine. He was a Marine. He came in. He's a double amputee. You know, he comes in on prosthetic legs. I'm like, what are those? You know, I've heard about them. Never thought I have to use them one day. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, I'm being a wheelchair for the rest of my life. What am I going to do? Who's going to want me? What am I going to do with my life? You know, is my son going to be made fun of because his dad's different? You know, that, that was heavy on my mind. But he came in and he was like, man, I, I've been there. You know, at this point, too, I've, I've had a lot of people come in, doctors mainly. And, man, I know how you feel. I know how you feel. It's like, no, you don't. You know, you're not in my position. But I, I could relate to this guy because he was. Um, and he's like, I've been there. But there's nothing in life you can't do, but you just have to find a different way to do it. You know, he said he, he snow skied, he water skied, he mountain climbed. He tried out for a major league baseball team on prosthetic legs and did very well. Yeah. You know, and I was like, wow, you know, it's, it's kind of like that light bulb in my head, you know, that changed it for me. He's the guy that inspired you to, to move forward. Yeah. And, and like I said, being able to see him and, and like I said, he's been through this journey. So he know I know it's possible. It's not just somebody tell a doctor telling me, because they read in a book in school says, I'm supposed to tell you, this is how you feel, you know? And that really helped for me. Um, and then I started to not feel sorry for myself as much at that point. And then I went to San Antonio to do my rehab. I was there for about a year and a half, learning how to walk again and get my first set of legs. Uh, I had a rough time there. It's still new to me, the whole, this life. We went out to eat with my family and I'm in a wheelchair. don't have my legs on. And I notice all these people are just staring at me. You know, I look around. It's like, okay, this person's staring at me. This person's staring at me. And I'm getting pissed to the point where, like, I'm in tears. It's like, why do these people keep staring at me, you know? And when part of our, our therapy was uh, to talk to a psychologist once a week. And I went and told this guy this. And I was just going off on him. I was like, all these people, like, mind their damn business. They're keeping staring at me, this and that and that. And he told me something. He was like, why do you think they're doing that? Or why do you think it's bothering you? I was like, I don't know, because they're stupid. Like, you know. And he said something to me. It pissed me off at first. He was like, dude, it's your fault that you feel that way. And I was like, why? Like, why would you tell me it's my fault? They're the ones staring. And he's like, you're not enjoying the fact that you're still alive. You're not enjoying the fact that you're here with your family, that your son is right here with you. You know, so I was like, dude, that makes sense. You know, he said, you're too focused on the negative and too focused on looking around to see who's staring at you. You know, enjoy your meal. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your life. I was like, dude, okay, it makes sense. You know, from then on, I was like, if I caught somebody staring, I was like, would you like to know what happened? Like, I don't mind sharing my story anymore, you know? So that really helped me. And then to see my two-year-old son at this time running around, he didn't think his dad's any different. He didn't see me as any different. He saw me as home. He saw me there with him finally. Um, he would push me around in my wheelchair down the hallway, and he actually screamed, Daddy's home, Daddy's home. Mm -hmm. You know, so that helped me a lot. Um do you like making people cry? Because I don't know if we got jalapeno juice going in the <laughs> thing or something, but my gosh, man. I mean, what no, a beautiful I, story. I bet and you're used no, to it, right? Yeah. No, and, I, but I mean, just like so much gratitude through all this, you know, it's yeah. just, it's good. Now that I have four kids, you know, I have three daughters as well. It's my main focus has been on showing them that no matter what happens to you in life, that you can do it. You know what I mean? It's like if they're ever faced with a decision or any type of bump in the road in their life, do they quit or can they look back and be like, Hey, my dad was able to accomplish X, Y, and Z, even though he's been through this, you know, I have to try at least. 
Um, and I told my son that the day I graduated the academy and he pinned me on, uh, he pinned my badge on me. I grabbed him tight and I was like, dude, you can do it. You can do it. You know, and I wasn't even a hundred percent sure that I could do it when I first started the whole thing. I just knew I at least had to try because that's what I wanted to do when I was a kid. Um, so were those the words like, what, what was it in you that just kept you going? Was it like, you can do it or. Yeah, I can do it. And, and if not, at least try. Yeah. Like I said, it shows them that they're watching me now. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not going to be here forever. So it's like, what do they have to look back on? Yeah. You know, I want to leave some type of footprint, if you will. Yeah. In their lives to be like, Hey, anything is possible. Right. You know, during your recovery, you had a, you had a special visitor. Can you tell us about that. Yeah. Um, when I was in Bethesda, President Bush came by and uh, presented me with a purple heart. Uh, it was always cool because, I mean, how often do you get to meet a sitting president? Yeah. You know, so he gave me his challenge coin, which is, you know, something that's uh, kind of coveted in, in the military world. Um, but, uh, I mean, it was great. He talked to me and my family for a while, even when Secret Service guys were like, Sir, or Mr. President, we have to go. And he was like, oh, you know, wait. Mm. And he stayed there and talked to us. It was it was very, um, Outstanding. very inspiring to see that. Outstanding. Um, some during the recovery process, what would you what would you describe as being some of the harder uh, things you said learning how to walk again? Yeah, dealing with the pain. Um, I think I've always used one used motivation as as a factor for me on, on getting things done. Um, my unit was still in Iraq, you know, for another three uh, three four months by the time I got hurt. So my goal was like they're going to see me walking. Um, I don't want them to think that this this took me down and kept me down. So at that, I made it a point to walk. So when they flew home, they got off the bus, they met with their families, and I came walking around a tent, and they didn't expect me to be there walking. I mean, granted, I could only walk maybe about five, ten minutes at a time before it hurt too bad, but they were able to see me do that. Um, what was that like for you and for them? No words were spoken. It was just all tears mm. yeah, and hugs because um, everybody made it home from that trip, so that was a big thing. They got hit on foot two weeks after I got hit, so I was scared, and I got that phone call. Um, but since then, we've lost two members of our team, one, unfortunately, to suicide a couple of years ago, and another we went back as a contractor after he got out of the Marines and he got killed. Um, Did those thoughts ever cross your brain, if you mind me asking? Suicide? No. Um, I've always been scared of it. I've always been scared of addiction due to having parents that were addicted. Mm-hmm. So even my pain meds, I, I would take them maybe for a week or two and I'd take myself off of them just because, you know, it obviously ran in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want that to be me. And honestly, I think I, I, I'd be too scared to do it. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. Um, my buddy that did do it, unfortunately, I mean, he would call me three, four o'clock in the morning and I'd answer. Even if it was just to be like, hey, what's up? We what didn't, you, you know? Yeah. And I got mad at him afterwards. And I said, like, why didn't you just call me one more time? Or why didn't I call him one more time? Yeah. You know, it's, I mean, unfortunately, it's happening too often. Um, I'm really hoping and praying that we can find something that, that stops that, that, um, that number from keep going up. Yeah. So, I mean, I think fortunately I've been able to answer a few calls of veterans, uh, as be, since being a police officer and have gotten the chance to talk to them. So the dispatcher knows a lot that, Hey, if you, any of these calls send me because it does help to see sure. or to talk to somebody that's been through it, Absolutely. you know, you had, you had two more goals after you walked in front of your fellow, your fellow company before you got to be a cop or a cop was one of those two, but tell us about the two other goals you had with the little league. You promised you'd coach your little league boy. Yeah. Um, I mean, baseball's always been a passion of ours. Uh, my brothers and I, and uh, my older brother has a son. 
um, a year older than my son and my younger brother just has two daughters, but I mean, he's already coaching them as well. Um, my son's always been kind of drawn to baseball as well. And I'm very fortunate for that. Very glad. I mean, he does aspiration, have aspirations of playing in college. Um, that's always where I wanted to go to, but I thought, you know, I think I'm have more of a calling going to this this thing. I mean, I wasn't like the best baseball player ever. It's just one of those kids that saw myself as, you know, hearing my name shouted in the big league stadium or seeing my name on the jumbotron or sure. something like that. Um, we all did that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I try to keep as keep up with it as much as I can. Like, like I said, I play the softball as often as I can. Uh, play for that all amputee softball team. It was the Wounded Warrior um, amputee softball team, and now it's the USA Patriots. And it's just made up of military members from all across the country that different type of different types of uh, amputations so we just travel the country playing able-bodied teams do you stay in touch with these guys when you're not playing it's a constant texting all day every day hmm. and it's just like uh you tell them you're coming on here we gotta get some pictures so you can text them yeah back. yeah i can do that for sure for sure yeah it's just like a big old frat house man everybody just that's good telling, you yeah. know talking all the time asking how the families are doing and stuff like that and our families are able to talk to each other too because there's a lot that goes on um, on their side too. So they're, they're like a support system for each other as well. That's huge. Yeah. Zach. So your third goal was to become a police officer. You, you got that done, man. Yeah. Um, obviously there's, there was a lot of maybe hesitation, um, in that I started getting feelings of, can I really do this? Like how effective can I be, you know, as a police officer, if I had to chase somebody or, you know, had to go help somebody, um, you have a, a uh, physical agility test that you have to do and you have to complete within a certain amount of time. And the first time I ever did it, I failed it by three seconds. So that was, you know, kind of like a kick in the nuts. It was like, man, I, can I really do this? You know? Yeah. But then again, there was people, able-bodied people that couldn't finish half of the course in the amount of time. I finished the entire course, but fell short three seconds. And the next day I went and I passed it by 12 seconds just because I got that feeling of, I got to do it. I got to do it. I'm this close. I can't not do it. There's something um, about you. You got something with that. I got to do it thing. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it's I, I, good. It's helped. I yeah. mean, ever since I was younger, it's like, I got to do it. It's, yeah. like, it's like a calling for me that, I mean, if it's a, like a kick in the butt, if you will, if you're, I mean, I get that feeling of yeah. do it, you know? And ever since then, I've had nothing but support from the department. Everybody in the department was very supportive. Um, they didn't make any alterations to my training. I did the same as everybody else. Um, I dealt with a, a lot of physical, um, I guess, problems uh, in the academy. So I lost a lot of weight in the academy. So my leg shape changed. My socket size stay the same. So there's a lot of rubbing and pounding on my legs. So I dealt with swelling and blistering and bleeding pretty much daily um, until I graduated. I was finally able to go to Seattle and see my prosthetist and get me some new legs. Um, they like shrink the the size of it is that's what happened yeah so they just recast yeah. it to to my leg shape yeah and then just make new legs from there so then now do you have like a i'm a little bit heavier pair of pants and then a little lighter is it like that <laughs> kind of thing you know like yeah actually i mean i've gone through so many legs and there, there's so many different styles of you know it kind of just depends on what you do what your lifestyle is like yeah um they have rock climbing shoes that are you know maybe two feet wide if that or two feet long just to grip on the rocks you know yeah. there's some that made for swimming there's some that are made for you know whatever yeah. it is you want to do yeah 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 so yeah um i've had some golf legs that have rotators in them to help but um i still play now and it's just a blade 
Yeah. Can we yeah. talk about your prosthetic, Zach? Yeah, for sure. Before we do, can I just do a real quick shout out to CapTex yeah, just yeah, to say sure. thanks again for yeah. CapTex for having awesome guests like this, making it possible. Yep. Uh, Mike and the team, we appreciate it because these are stories that like we couldn't have, we maybe could have done on our own, but it's super helpful that CapTex, I mean, at least we get to see you now and, and have these mm -hmm. talks. So thanks again. Okay, keep Yeah, going. no, for sure. Prosthetics. Um, so these, so if you see the sprinters, um, they're going to be a little bit different from what they, just the blade shape of it because they obviously need the maximum efficiency for what those those uh, springs do. So these are pretty much the same thing. My prosthetist in Seattle, um, Davidson Prosthetics, Greg Davidson, he pretty much designed this this leg. Um, so like I said, it's just a blade, and he added a heel to it so we can balance. If not, I'd be just like bouncing on my toes constantly if I didn't have that heel. And then it just comes with like this little foam piece. It's just for cosmetics so my jeans don't go in, you know. Right. There it is. I mean, it's just a blade. You know, beautiful. Oh, but yeah. it's the most comfortable. Sure it's the lightest. It's all carbon fiber. Um, yeah. And then where your leg goes in, though, um, is that that's got like a padding, like, or do you have to wrap it with something? Each no, time? no, no. So I wear a liner uh -huh. that goes over my leg. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm gonna be up. So it just goes over my leg. So they're they're both about the same length, about mid shin down. Mm -hmm. um, is where the amputations are. And then it just goes into the socket. Yeah. So, I mean, I joke around a lot of people, like, if I can't catch somebody, I'll take it off and throw it. And, yeah. Or, I mean, another thing is if, if I, you know, break one of my legs, just go in the trunk and grab another one. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Do, you, do you have decent speed with those? Actually, yeah. So I've, I've been in a couple of foot pursuits already. And then even the people are like, dude, you're pretty quick. You're a big guy. You're pretty quick. Yeah. You know, and then I tell them like, yeah, and, and I have no legs. So you That's just got great. caught. You know? That's great. Um, tell us about the incident at the Rangers. You're, you told us this off air, but your wife, your <laughs> wife gets annoyed with you for something you do with these legs. Yeah. So like baseball has always been a passion. The Rangers obviously is my favorite team. Um, my old, one of my, my old pairs had the old claw and antlers, you know, um, on them. And I like to, you know, get the crowd going or go with the crowd make a little noise, <laughs> take them off and bring them together. Uh, I went to the game with my brothers that day, and she told me, "Do not take your legs off. Like, stop. Like, please, you know, yeah. don't embarrass me." Yeah. So me like being you're me, over your head. Oh, like, I, yeah. I, I mean, you can look it up in Star Telegram. I mean, it's I'm over my head, beating them together, and people are like getting a kick out of it, and you know, kind of getting going. And then we're not too far from the dugout, where you know, obviously the, all the reporters there with their huge lenses. And next thing you know, I see my picture in the Star Telegram. It's like banging my legs together. And I was like, oh, crap, my wife's going to see this. Mm. And sure enough, she brought it up like, hey, what's this? Like, what'd you do? <laughs> I had to do it. You know? That's awesome. That's great. That That's awesome. great. Yeah. I, I mean, I had, like I said, it's my life now. You got to make, have fun with it. Yeah. Um, and it was for the baseball thing. I think someone, I forgot who it was, actually tossed me a baseball and I caught it in my leg. Oh, no kidding. Cool. Yeah. Oh, that's super cool. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Yeah. What what type of calls do you see as an officer? What, what's the typical oh, stuff you deal with? I mean, where I work now, it's kind of like the stockyards area. Um, so uniform? You got uniform on or no? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I work patrol. Okay. Um, Lots of drunk uh, college kids, I'm, I'm guessing. Not yeah. as much as like the 7th Street area. Okay. But, yeah. I mean, this is more of the older crowd, which is nice. It helps. Um, <laughs> more J-Dubs age? Is that like that <laughs> You know profile? what? Even, even me, like I can't stand that younger crowd anymore. Yeah, you know, I can't do uh, that. I can't. I can't. Welcome to the club. Yeah, they I don't, don't recover as, as quickly. Are they as raucous or no? They, are they more docile? It's or or is it? Are they pretty in your face? I think just in today's day and age in general, yeah. like the generation are more in your face just because they think they can get away with it or they have no respect for I it. Think like, they're on TikTok, yeah, aren't they? It's yeah. Like, I, I mean, I have this conversation with a lot of kids today. Um, they're like, "Well, you don't know what it's like growing up." I was like, "Dude, I was out here before you were born." Yeah. You know, I was running around the streets and. 
and we didn't have the social media back then to say, oh, well, I saw this video. Okay, did you see the whole video or did you see a clip of it? You know, yeah. you didn't see the yeah. whole thing. You don't know the whole thing. But, I mean, that that's a struggle in itself at work. Um, I think doing a lot of kids that think they're entitled to stuff. It's like, dude, if you only knew. Um, it's funny that, uh, you know, we'll get calls like, oh, my 12-year-old is, is talking back to me. What was that? Oh, yeah. Spank him. Yeah. yeah. Well, I can't do that. Yes, you can. Yeah. Like, or the kid's like, they can't do that. Here's my belt. Do mm-hmm. it. Like the parent needs to know, like we got it when we were younger and yeah. it worked. Right. Yeah. I didn't do that again because it worked. Yeah. You know, I didn't want that to happen again. Yeah. But they don't get that these days. Mm. Um, like I said, I mean, it, it varies the calls. It can be something from, you know, my neighbor looked at me funny or, or they called me a name. It's like, okay, I'm sorry they hurt your feelings, you know, but, or it could be something as somebody's getting robbed and we need to get there quick or somebody's having a domestic issue and we get there, you know, obviously as fast as we can to help mm-hmm. out in whichever mm-hmm. way we can. But there's a huge satisfaction in knowing that I'm helping people in one way or another. So, sure. um, I mean, a lot of people are like, do you still like your job? Do you still like your job? Do you still like, it? I love it. Absolutely love it. Um, even in this day and age when it is hard to be a police officer, it's tough to, to wear a uniform out in public, not knowing yeah. like who has an agenda, you know, against sure. you just because you wear a uniform. You may not have done anything to that person, but you wear a uniform and they're pissed off that something happened states away. Sure. You know, but I mean, I kiss my family before I go in at work at night and I work 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. And those are rough hours. Um, I mean, they know daddy's doing a job. What are the biggest challenges you face with two prosthetics and being on the on the on the on the police force? Um, biggest challenges. I mean, just you overcome so much, Zach. I know this isn't a a, a cutting edge question, but you. What, 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 what's your biggest over thing to overcome right now? Well, I mean, I still have in the back of my head that I don't want to be in the, I don't want to be an issue for anybody as far as like, if something was to happen, I mean, somebody have to carry me out again. You know what I mean? I don't want that for anybody. Um, I mean, just doing my job the best I can, you know what I mean? Yeah. Being, being, um, and just reminding people too, I'm still a person. Like I, I wear a uniform, but I'm a human being too. And then we've had that a lot too. Like, well, you don't know you wear a uniform. So what? Mm. You know? But I mean There's a lot they that they don't see probably in that no, meeting with you, right? Or absolutely. don't understand. Uh, and that's why I try to have conversations with people. Yeah. You know, and it may change their mind. And we've had people that have come up that, you know, guys that are fully tatted, head to toe pretty much. And they'll come up, talk to us. Some and like some people would would probably, you know, say this guy's up to no good, like just because he's walking yeah. up to me talking to you, you know. Uh, stereotyping this person, but they'll come up with their hands up. Hey, do you mind if I talk to you? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. What's going on? Hey, uh, I just want to say thank you for what you guys do. You know, mm-hmm. I used to be a knucklehead back in the day, and this is true stories. Like guys actually come up and said, um, you know, I used to be pissed off at the police because I got arrested and this and that. Yeah. But while I was in prison, I, I had time to thank you. It was me that made that stupid decision to do whatever I was doing. And, you know, it was like, I'm glad I got locked up because I'd be dead, or you know, I'd be still be in prison or something. Um, I was like, dude, that's, that's awesome to hear that. You know, he yeah. he didn't see he that person didn't see a uniform and get pissed off. You know what I mean? Just because he realized like whatever I did. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. A lot of kids now, it's like it's our fault they got arrested. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't oh, yeah. I didn't put yeah. this gun in your hand. You know, I didn't yeah. tell you to go do this or do that. But so well, well, I was gonna kind of wrap it up, but go ahead. I was ahead. gonna say you've been such a good uh, you did make such a good kids and you're such a good dad. You wouldn't had four of them. Um how's how's fatherhood <laughs> treating you? You got four kids, man. Yeah, four kids. I mean it's it's absolutely amazing. Uh, my son is great. He's he's going to be 17 in September. Wow. Um, 
Uh, he helps out with his sisters. His sisters absolutely adore him. I think they like him more than me sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my daughters are seven, five, and the baby's about to be three. So we spread them out a little bit. Uh, my wife has been absolutely amazing. She's, I mean, I can't do a lot of the stuff that, that I've done without her. Um, but, you know, like I said, everything I do is, is for them and to help others to like realize that somebody out there maybe has it worse than what we do. You know, and I tell my kids that a lot, mm-hmm. having seen kids that, that a rock and dirt is their only form of entertainment. Yeah. You know I mean, they're so fortunate to have what they have and everything that we have here. Um, I mean, we can eat every day. You know, they, they have to like, what are we going to eat, you know, yeah. from this day to, to the next. And, and unfortunately, I grew up that way. And I tell them, I mean, we would, my brother and sister were like, we'd order a pizza and then try to go scounge around for money to pay for it afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we don't know how we're going to pay for this. Yeah. But yeah. We're going to figure out a way. Um, but fatherhood is great. Um, I, like I said, hope to, hope to plant some type of seed in them that shows them that anything is possible in life um, with a little hard work. Yeah, they can do anything. Well, man, I get, we'll wrap this up, but we're, we're truly inspired by you. Yeah, thank one of, you. One of our questions we ask all of our guests, and this might be the best one probably ever because of where you've come from. But aside from your kids and your wife and your and all marital affairs, what's the best day of your life? Hmm. You've best had, day you've of had my pl- life. You've had plenty of tough ones, yeah. man. The best day of my life is every morning that I get to wake up and do it all over again, pretty much. Um and, and like I said, one thing I tell my kids, it, do something, learn something new today that you didn't know yesterday. Um, put a smile on somebody's face. You have, you have every day you wake up is, is a blessing and an opportunity to make it better. So I think, uh, honestly, for me, every day that, that I wake up is better than the last. That's fantastic. Try to make it better than the last. Well, well I got to be frank. I'm glad people stare at you, Zach Brasenio, because you're an inspiration. And. Thank you very You're an much awesome for dude. being here. We Thank you for it. joining us. We love you and yeah, we appreciate great you. Stuff. Thank, Thank you, you. Captex Bank, for supporting Did you us. Get the questions I sent you. Fortitude for us.